HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin leads the nation in the production of specialty cheeses, accounting for 47% of the total? To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, and welcome to Cutting the Curd on Heritage Radio Network. This is your host, Elena Santigade. Today I'm turning the spotlight around and interviewing our very own host of Cutting the Curd, Greg Blaze. Hey there. Thanks for coming on as my guest today, Greg. It's no problem. (laughs) Listeners, as you may know from piecing together Greg's comments over the years, Greg has worked in the cheese industry since 1994? Yeah, 94. That's 24 years. Late 94. Late 94. Yeah, early 95. Amazing. He's currently the quality head of Salumi and Formaggi at Italy and has overseen the openings of five different locations around the U.S.? Well, I I didn't open the first one, but I was right in there early when, the, team. when the person uh, that they hired fled. You you were the fixer, the, the early fixer. Yep. Wow. Uh, okay, so before we get in, too much into what you're up to these days when you're not hosting this show, let's start at the beginning. What was your very first job in the cheese industry? My my very first job in the cheese industry, as uh, I mentioned before on the program, was at a butcher shop in Boston called Savonor's Market. Mm-hmm. I was trying to earn money. I was a college student, and I loved food. And I had left uh, another job down the street where I was helping to run a wine cellar at like age 18 or age 19. Nice. Perfect age to do that kind of it work. It was good. It was good. <laughs> yep. That uh, was, uh, was really interesting. And then a friend of mine got me a job up the street at Savonor's at sort of like the dueling uh, gourmet shops. Hmm. And Savonor's uh, was where I started. They, uh, they had me doing everything. I was a butcher sometimes. Hmm. I was a fishmonger. I did the produce I was a cashier. Uh, I, you know, everything soup to nuts. And there was cheese. 
yeah, there was a little tiny cheese department, mm. and no one, uh, no one was was running it, and it, and I just sort of, even though I thought the stuff was abjectly, it was just like odd and fascinating and somewhat like disgusting and repulsive to me. <laughs> Common I was sort first of drawn impression. towards it. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't cheese that propelled you there. It was sort of circumstance. Well, that was what I mean. I always liked food, mm-hmm. and uh, and I always knew that. I wasn't. I didn't have a lot of money as a college student, yeah. And I was smart enough to know that ramen. Eat a lot of ramen. Well, no, because I always worked at high end uh-huh. food shops. I see. Got paid in food. So great approach. Yeah. Good strategy. Mm-hmm. So okay. So you're at Savonars. You're in college. Yep. Uh, what happens next? Did you think that that was going to be going to launch you into a career of specialty food and cheese, or did you have other plans? Well. Uh, I've been on my plan for this whole mm-hmm. this whole time, believe it or not. I went to school to be a journalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got my degree uh, while I was working. The butchers that I worked with told me that I needed a trade, that I would need a trade. And, uh, and I sort of saw that. The school that I went to, I knew. You know, Emerson is a great place and a magical place, great place to go to school. But there are two types of people that get out of Emerson that aren't already independently wealthy Hmm. and a member of say like the entertainment industry, like their, their son, their daughter, nephew to plug in, either they're in the pipeline. Right. So the other type, two types of people either find their own way, uh, on their path, like I did, Mm -hmm. or they take their bong and go home and they, you know, (laughs) and slowly lose their memory. Well, they they just talk about how awesome Emerson (laughs) was when they're, you know, go back and live in their parents' basement. (laughs) So, I, I wanted to be the the former, and uh, cheese. Uh, like I said, I just I, I fell I fell in love with it, the sensory applications. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was <clears throat> when I was traveling in in Europe and th- going to get my degree, I was able to live in Europe for a little bit, do the semester abroad. I lived ah. in Holland, uh-huh. and um, I a lot of the things that I saw being sold at Savonors, mm-hmm. uh, I was eating when I was in Europe. A lot of the students I was with wouldn't eat a lot of things, but I would because hmm. I had already gotten them for free when they were damaged at the grocery store. Interesting. Yeah. So after Savonars, what was your next step in your cheese path? Well, I decided to become a cheesemonger mm-hmm. uh, through Sav's. Uh, the sensory, there was some something about the smell and the texture uh, mm. of the cheeses that reminded me of something. Hmm. Uh, my past, uh, and I was from the country, and uh, my com- combined with uh, the little bit of time I had spent in Europe and travel, I was like, "This is this is important stuff." So hmm. I made a conscious decision to become a, a cheesemonger and uh, and to move to New York City. So the woman that was my mentor at Savonors, this lady Sally Weiner, mm-hmm. who uh, took me under her wing, she sent me away to uh, Ricky Carroll to learn how to make cheese. Oh, wow. Bought me all of my knives, paid for me to move to New York City to be a cheesemonger. Wow. They gave me the keys to their business. I was working overnight teaching myself about cheese. And uh, I went, um, decided I was going to move to New York City. I found a friend who was also moving there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I took a trip. Uh, I took like a $10 bus uh-huh. um, and somehow found the Balducci's uh corporate office in Long Island City. <laughs> you just showed up. Which was, yeah, it sort of showed up in Long Island City, and they were like, 
you came from where? <laughs> and, and I said, I came How from... How did you find this address? Yeah, and kind of. Um, and they, they said, we'll pay you 12 bucks an hour. And I said, I'll be back in, uh, in two weeks. And two weeks after I graduated, I took the little bit of money I had left uh, mm-hmm. that Sally had put aside for me. So I got my security deposit, my first and last month's rent, my trip down and some meager things. And I had about 150 bucks in my pocket and a $12 an hour job. And I got on the A train and uh, <laughs> rode down from 181st Street to Balducci's. Awesome. So you really had a cheese benefactor in Sally. Yeah. I, I had a mentor. Now, have you sort of, now that you're, you know, 24 years later, have you, do you sort of channel that energy in any specific ways with your own staff? Well, if I've ever been in a position to hire and fire people, which I was very quickly, mm-hmm. I always concentrated on <clears throat> trying to give people the opportunity that I was given. Yeah. Sounds like that was a really key moment. Yeah, that's how, that's how things get done. Hmm. I think, right? Totally. Totally. So actually, that that makes me think of another question I'm eager to ask you about, because you talk about the people who inspire you a lot on the show. And um, I've been wanting to see what your answer would be when I asked you, you know, if you've had, I, I think the answer is yes, that you've had cheese heroes in your time, real people that you've looked up to in the industry. And I'm curious about who, who those are. Well... I think that the people that had, so this has been my life. This has uh, been the primary focus of my life. It's saved me, and I've and I've you know I've supported it, and it supported me through. This is going into my third decade. So hmm. uh, they, I've had people who were my mentors in life, or who people who I was close with in life. Right, but they weren't. They would have been uh, my hero no matter what they did, hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. You know, like Sally would have been my hero uh, because she was just so smart and uh, bizarre, and uh, we were <laughs> such good friends. And uh, I just, I was, <clears throat> when it, when someone uh, does that for you, you yeah. feel like you need to, to live up to live up to that to that right. what they've given you, right? Because otherwise. You know that would be bad. Yeah, that would be a bad look for them. It would so the whole thing would would uh, break down. So Sally was one, and then I met Mr. DeLuca, so the founder of Dean and DeLuca, Giorgio oh, yes. and Joel, uh-huh. and uh, and Jack Shiglick, and they became um, the next group of people. Um, that was in '96 or so '97, and it. and then I met uh, my friends uh, Deborah Dickerson and and Jason. Hines at the same time, mm-hmm. and uh, and Deborah for our listeners. Deborah is, was a, a founder of Cowgirl Creamery. Has worn f- yeah. Well, no, she well, wasn't early, a founder early on. No, she she uh, she used to work My for the Neil's Yard wrong. Dairy. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Sorry, I misspoke. I misspoke. She works for the Cowgirls now. Now she works for the Cowgirls. Uh, she was originally with Neil's Yard. Yeah, and before that, she was with Zingerman's. Right. Yeah, she came up at a different time. Uh, Deborah and uh, Jason were a tiny bit older than me in years, but we all came up at the same time. Mm. And then I met uh, <clears throat> probably a, a, one, a person who was my, one of my best friends was uh, was Daphne Zeppos. She mm-hmm. became um, just a really, a really uh, good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we, that was in about, um, I think, 2002 maybe. Got it. 
So you said that she's that that this career, this industry, saved you. Yeah. And what do you mean by that? Well, uh, it always gave me something to put my back up against hmm. and something to believe in, because the what I learned really quickly is that uh, you know cheese is that fascinating food object, and I've said so many so many times it, it represents so many things. It, it it's currency. Hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's sustainable agriculture. It's a uh, history, it's a, uh, it's geography and it, and it's a sort of snapshot of particular days and times. There's a lot of memory in the cheese. And, uh, when, when I've strayed and uh, been low at times in my life, uh, just hmm. working with the products or the people that <clears throat> I've met through them or a project that I've been working on and being able to, um, work with, with people and you see the effects that it has on their, on their life and the food system, um, that, you know, that, that gives me purpose. Really motivates you. So let's talk a little bit about your travels because you've had the chance to go to really amazing places as part of this career in cheese. Sure. Listen, I mean, lots of the places that everybody, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, definitely I've traveled. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. What was your first tr- cheese focused trip aside from your time abroad in Holland? I think maybe 99 was when I first traveled over to visit the 98 maybe 98 or so mm-hmm. uh, when I went to, uh, to visit uh, the Neil's yard dairy as they were, uh, they were building the, the arches. Uh, they still only have in, L- in London. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, the, um, the, the actual uh, borough market stop uh-huh. was still, was just becoming a retail stop I see. shop. And they had literally had some like uh, wooden horses out there and some, some like plywood <laughs> slinging and cheese some on the corner. Out. Yeah. As was the Jason's way. Um, and that was incredible, and I got to see the uh, the arches. And at that same time, I um, I was able to to travel into uh, oh my gosh, I was in uh, Rangi, I believe, with mm-hmm. uh, with some Dean and DeLuca so, cohort. So Rangi, for our listeners who haven't had the pleasure of being there, is is sort of like the Hunts Point of Paris. Yeah, it it's is. Like the it's the centralized food hub. For is it Europe? I mean, is that like a major exporting point for all of Europe? Or yeah, is what it you learn about Europe Paris? is that the, the the logistics are very different. You know, there's right. just Kuhn and Nagel. Um, there's the truckers over there, and they bring everything. Hmm. You know, to to these sort of uh, to this to this place. Right. And um, so it's like your your warehouse dream, warehouse of your dreams, yeah, just filled with every cheese you could imagine. On pallets yeah. and, and shelves, it's a crazy place. And it's, from, it's pretty insane. It's totally insane. And from the outside, it's a lot of trucks and big, uh, sort of like airplane hangar looking buildings. Yeah, <laughs> the lifestyle was like amazing to me because you know these guys were were, were drinking at like seven a.m. Oh, or eight yeah. a.m. and it just the whole the whole thing. I, I just I just got it. You know? Yeah, it's like it's like specialty food meets blue collar trucking. Yeah, in, there was in like, like the greatest. There was a tradition yeah, there, yeah. But it wasn't some sort of uh, like bullshit, like fairy tale version of what goes on in no, it's like, in Europe. But right. but those you know those those people uh, were a part of something that they believed in. And uh, hmm. and as American, when they were like twenty one, twenty two, 
at the time, you know, there was like, who, who the fuck are you? But mm-hmm. I, um, I was uh, for real. I, I mean, I, I didn't pretend to know the things I didn't know. Yeah, you were there and, to learn. Uh, and I really, and I was into it in a way that the most that they those guys found humorous at first. <laughs> yeah, and uh, were probably like, yeah, sure, whatever. But you know, okay, as good. the you years progress, tag along. You know, as the years progress, and and you just keep doing it, and you keep doing it, and you keep doing it. Eventually, you build respect. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, you just become one of those people. Yeah, you know? and that is and, so great. It's it's fun to imagine you running around, Ranji. Yeah, just once. That was bad. <laughs> but I mean, the people that I met, or the, that, what I yeah. saw that first time, right? Uh, uh, but mostly it was just mostly that that trip was the best part about it was just standing uh, with Jason Hines, looking at the the borough market, which was a shithole again. Mm-hmm. That that was like an old produce market. And it was kind of sh- shady, right? And um, and hearing him. Talk about what Randolph and like what the mm. the people in the in the city were going to do that they the were going to be a part for, of the vision for the borough market store. Well, you know that that through Jay and through Deborah and uh, and through Giorgio and Joel giving the, me the freedom to explore that mm-hmm. uh, the Neil's Yard Dairy was where I learned that uh, and I learned from the people that worked there that that <clears throat> you could save the food system and mm. you know you could do really a lot of good work. Right. By rebuilding and by believing in this thing, it really—they have. A, it's like, it's like you saw this holistic v- perspective on the industry, not just on retail or production, but you got to kind of see how all the pieces fit. Well, there just were less people, right? Uh, there were less people that were doing it, and that doesn't—that's neither here nor there. I mean, that's right. just how things work. Mm-hmm. So at the time, uh, I just happened to be with with like-minded people. And there was a lot of work to be done, and mm. there wasn't really a <clears throat> people were just doing the work to do the work. Not which isn't to say that they don't do it now, right? But um, it was a lot m- more about fuck. How are we going to get this just done? Get it, get it done, and yeah. uh, you know, totally. rather than getting it done, Being so you can about it. <laughs> well, yeah, and you know, so you can, yeah, you know, count. You know, how many times have you been to? This place, or how many right. times you've been to that place, like hmm. traveling around right. in Europe, you know, right, which right. is cool, right? But you were more in, you were really digging in there and getting your hands dirty, which sounds like it was a well, lot of fun. Well, you know, it just never, never occurred to me that I would ever or and would ever have to do anything else. Mm-hmm. I wasn't passing through to get to another job, right? Uh, like I said, I knew that journalism would come back to me, but I never left the sort of mindset of being a journalist step behind and that actually helped me locate cheese and go out and talk to people mm. in other places that I wouldn't have otherwise maybe had the skill set to be able to communicate with them if I didn't have that education. Totally, totally. Well, this is super fun and we're going to take a quick break here and uh, we'll be back with Greg Blaze. <laughs> Today's program was brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. What do you think of when you hear Wisconsin Cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh and squeaky cheese curds. Or deep fried cheese curds. 
Cheese curds literally anyway, anytime, anyplace. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese, the farmstead cheese company behind Pleasant Ridge Reserve. I think of delicious stinky Limburger and its long storied history. I think of Dunbarton Blue, made by master cheesemaker Chris Raleigh. I think of Ross Grand Cru Sierchois, which was named 2016's World Championship Cheese, and Satori's Black Pepper Bella Vitano, the 2017 U.S. Championship Cheese. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, with lush grasslands and a glacial water supply that produce the very best milk. Fourth-generation cheesemakers combine old-world tradition with new ideas and the highest standards to make innovative cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. Hey, thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. This is Katie, HRN Executive Director, and I'm so excited to share with you our coverage from the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. We are here live today at Charleston Wine and Food. Join us as we talk all things food. Come to Charleston, eat some seafood. Eat all of the seafood. Chicken fried chicken with chorizo steak and salsa verde mashed potatoes. So quintessentially like Southern fare at its finest. And have important conversations. We're also talking about professional women in restaurants and how underrepresented they are. People of color in restaurants and how they're not talked about. We get real with Food Network's Manit Chohan. Balance is BS. <laughs> uh, I, I, I was, yeah, I was told that uh, I wasn't going to be bleeped out. And find out about raising sugarcane with Chef Sean Brock. It's like being Indiana Jones or something. You never know what you're going to find. You'll come away inspired by the power of food and the food scene in Charleston. Here's Dr. Jessica B. Harris. Food is constantly in flux. Food is always moving. Food is the only real lingua franca that we have that allows us to connect with other folks. So tune in to Heritage Radio Network on tour at heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you get your podcasts. You can't go wrong. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd, broadcasting on the Heritage Radio Network. This is your host, Elena Santigade, and I'm here with also host Greg Blaze. Hey. We've been chatting about Greg's personal experience in the cheese industry today, a, yep. a behind-the-scenes <laughs> exclusive, if you will. On this second half of the episode, I want to bring our conversation to the state of cheese today. Now that we know how long you've been around, Greg... I'm old. <laughs> Let's talk about what's changed during your tenure in cheese. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the product first of, you know, those early days when you were slinging cheese and, you know, now you're, you're running things at Italy. What, what's changed in terms of when you look at that case and you see who's making cheese and what cheeses you're excited about and, and, and uh, yeah, let's hear your thoughts on the cheese. Dude, what do I think about? The cheese itself? Yeah, like how has it changed? What what how has the well, selection there's more? There's more. <clears throat> there's more and then and there's less. Hmm. I know that sounds like a shitty way to answer that question. <laughs> there's a lot Tell me more. There's a lot of American cheese available, uh, more so than there was when I started. Hmm. Um but, but also uh, logistics have improved hmm. and uh, and people there there's 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 a need. It, I think that uh, there's a lot of cheese. Yeah, that that's that's what I will say. As a buyer, you feel like you have a lot of options. 
Well, I think that well, what's what's interesting for me in this in this uh, project, the Italy project, uh, is initially they you know, people they want to sell you their cheese. So people from all over America, I want to buy their cheese right. and fit it all in the little little cases at Italy, right. which are tiny. You, you've got a big heart. Italy you've got is. a big heart in that way. Uh, but so now their stores. We have one in Los Angeles. We have one in Chicago. We have two in New York, one in Boston. So those cheeses from those regions, I can mm. sort of s- spread them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that what I, what I, what I would be hopeful or what, what's, what I think will eventually happen when I look at cheeses in Europe that have been being made for a long time, they become localized in a way that makes sense. Like mm. there could be four goat cheeses that are made in the same way, made in... One's made near Boston, one's made in New York, one's made in Wisconsin, and one's made in California. And those should be sold, I think, not the natural order of things is that they would be sold near to where they're made. Near, near the location. Uh, yeah. And I think that that's how it will work. Hmm. Um, otherwise, otherwise, it seems like odd to me. It might seem like there's too much cheese. Hmm, right. Does that make sense? Yeah, like a little redundancy... Plus, on top of the logistics of getting cheeses from far away, there is that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked with with, uh, with Seamus about mm-hmm. about this. Yeah, uh, last when, week's show. When the difference between, let's say, what happened in Ireland, mm-hmm. that that need to restart or to create that cooperative uh, dairy system, thusly turned into cheese for export is a need-based thing that that's that there's money that needs to go right. to help keep that part of that economy going and the food systems going. Right. In America, we ha- we we have a lo- we we are they're operating from scarcity. Right. And uh, in a certain way, they have a lot of milk, but th- like the the things that are scarce are the resources and the hubs to get them out of the country, which is right. why he became an exporter and right. he was making fun of himself, but Brilliant, really filled, brilliant people like need. that, right? Sure. In America, we uh, we can make cheese. Uh, we can we can people can say, I just wanted to buy this farm. My husband and I, my wife and I, we our dream was to own this farm, and so they they buy a farm. They may or may not have the animals. They may purchase milk, mm-hmm. and they're making cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the needs are are different, right? Makes sense. And how do how is? I think it's. It's harder mm. as a purchaser to uh, to keep the quality straight, mm. to encourage, right, to support newer cheese, and makers. to understand also that this isn't about who's making it. You know, who's the newest person that's making it, and let's clamor for their stuff, and let's ask them maybe for too much stuff, and right. then bad things happen, right. which we I've already seen happen once last year, and it really fucked my head up personally. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. There's a reason why things operate at the speed that they do. Right. So I think there's a lot of good cheese out there, but mm-hmm. I think that eventually there will be a survival of the of the fittest. There will be mm-hmm. good cheese, but mm-hmm. can you make good cheese for 10 years? Can right. you make good cheese for 20 years? Right. Because the people that I've been buying sign. cheese from were making cheese before I started, and I've been. This is my twenty third or twenty fourth year. Right, interesting. So then, on Does that the, makes sense. Totally. On the on the people side of things, you know, you mentioned sort of that difference between when you were first getting involved, this sort of just get it. How are we going to get this done mentality? Sure. Versus 
<clears throat> more of a like, this is on my bucket list kind of approach. Um, you know, how do you see, especially you have such an interesting window because you have, you, you run these counters all over the country. Well, they run me. I mean, I try to help to run them. <laughs> right, right. You, uh, you help the people who are running them. I try to. Um, so how, how do you see sort of the cheesemongers of today in comparison with yourself and those early days of uh, being a cheesemonger? Well, there's more. So, so you have your, hmm. you have, when I, when I was doing the work, in the in the 90s when I was the manager Dean DeLuca and I was 22 yeah. I had the same types I had a lot of artists I had people who were passing through I had lawyers uh, who wanted to work two days a week you know I had people in the pharmaceutical industry yeah. yeah there just were less of them ah so it's more of a volume change well yeah and, and, you, and, you, and you still have some people who are who are hyper dedicated mm-hmm. I think I, I think that like any I think the rules are different. What I think you, the way that you that? can work is different. So, like in a place like 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 Italy, mm-hmm. you know, in the beginning, even of Italy, like we could work as many hours as, as we needed to. Mm-hmm. You had out people like you know paying them an hourly wage, and I needed them to work eighty hours a week. They could work eighty hours a week, and they saw that in their paycheck, and they were willing to do that. Now, you know, as things grow, things change. Your labor changes, so your ability to and to take the people mm-hmm. and incentivize them to grow, you have to consistently find, can keep finding ways to keep the people that are on the fence that you want to stay in the industry interested. Right. right. Keep Balancing. them away from the people who are, or frankly, are the tourists. Right. Because those people want to suck up your time too. Right. Because they want to say that they were cheesemonger for whatever, which I find hilarious because. You're you're working a fucking grocery store here, you know. <laughs> so what have you done? Like, how do you? Does that make sense to you? What, oh yeah. What I'm saying that there's there's yeah. always good people. Yeah. How how do you create those opportunities for the for the lifers for the career cheesemongers that that you really want to? Are you asking me how I would personally, or are you asking oh, you how have. would one? I think how I don't know. I don't know. I, I hope I have. Yeah. Uh, Just like, by like, giving them the chance. Well, to like work. I said, it's like never. It, this is. America, America, and especially uh, sometimes the food scene and mm. anything that that has become in popular in, in culture mm-hmm. is a "what have you done for me lately?" business, and it gets blown out. So consistency is what I look for, long, longevity. Right. And if I've been able to keep people who have been doing that. A long time, not so much that I need to keep them in- interested. I have to keep the people who would want to come and change what they do, or mm. say that guy's just been doing the same thing, or why don't this? Why doesn't this person want to do that? Into you know, I need to. I try to protect those people because what they do is invaluable work. They're cheesemongers. Mm. Does that you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's um, it's all about for me. Making it like like I said longevity and mm-hmm. and and consistency. I try to be right. Um, I have the first one down, and I think I'm fairly consistent as well in my in my practices. The way that I treat uh, people, yeah. I try to be. Yeah, and that's that's how I think anyone gives gives opportunities. And if I look back at the first opportunity that I was given, mm-hmm. it was given to me because I. I worked hard, and 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 it, and and I and I earned the opportunity. Right, right. 
it was a worthwhile investment yeah. for your friend Sally. So I, yeah, she, she gave the, there was a uh, guy that she could completely trust to go in after everyone else was gone hmm. and do the work that, that basically nobody wanted to do. Hmm. And, and I was interested in it. Yeah, perfect combo. That's your star employee right there. I mean, I was not. I mean, I'm I was, sure you. Yeah, everybody has. There's two sides of every coin. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was abjectly unmanageable then, and I am now. <laughs> so somehow it has served you well. <laughs> so what about on uh, sort of make this a trifecta of of thoughts on change? What about the consumer? How have you seen the cheese consumer change over these two and a half decades? Well, again, there's more of them. Yeah. Our industry has grown. Right. I think that, uh, like everything, I think that we live in a culture now where trust is at a premium. Hmm. Trusting other humans is even higher premium. And the humans that you don't know is, like, unheard of. Right. So you're up against that. Yeah. People... When I, when I first started, uh, people were really stoked. They just wanted illegal French cheese. And if you could provide them with that, <laughs> then you they had didn't them for care. life. <laughs> I could tell somebody that, like, I transported this inside my body, and, you know, and they did not give a shit. They were like, <laughs> just give it I'll, to can me. I, I'll cut you open and give you 20 bucks for whatever in your stomach. And they just didn't care. And now you have the same, you have the same thing. People still want that, but then they're also hyper paranoid. Right. There's, at the same time. It's almost like a higher IQ in a way leads well, to people, more confusion and, and kind of a mis, uh, misinformation. Not everyone go. needs to know everything about everything. Mm. Wise words. And I don't, I don't go and tell... I was in the hospital a number of times. I never once mm-hmm. thought that I should tell the people who were cutting me open where to, where to, what to do. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, knock me out and do what you've got right. to do. I trust and you. And so I think that sometimes it's a tougher sell. Hmm. Um, and also because there's also a battle for information. The mongers want to prove that they know, and the customer wants to prove that they know. Like, you can't put one over on me anymore. Interesting. And most mongers are like, oh, never is trying to put one over on you I'm anyway. Just you the story. This is the stuff. Do yeah. you want it or not? Right. So, and, and the costs are higher. Yeah. We, you see a lot of interesting interactions through yeah. cheese. But in the end, the consumer is is more well-educated, and I think that that's great. That's challenging for the mongers right. because keep, they keep have you on to your know. Toes. Right, right. That's so great. Well, this has been so much fun. I think as a final sort of, uh, a final thought that I would love to hear from you is, and I think our listeners will appreciate this, what advice would you have for those of our listeners who are either looking to get into the cheese industry or just starting out or kind of trying to decide what to do with a passion for this product? I, I, I think that if you, if you really believe in something, you should do it. You get one life and uh, mm-hmm. you're either going to go a route that you're sort of into. And if this is something that you're really into, you should check it out because the best people unequivocally that I met outside my family and close friends I went to school with are all from this job and from this life. Hmm. So the people are amazing and you get to really see the world through in its own tiny way, an important lens. Hmm. So you should do it, but you got to work hard. All right, listeners. Greg says, do it. Be ready to work. Yeah. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being on the show, Greg. No problem. 
Listeners, I hope you enjoyed that peek behind the curtain. Be sure to tune in next week for Diane's monthly book review. She'll be chatting with author Hannah Howard about her just-published memoir, Feast. This is Elena Santigade for Cutting the Curd. Thanks for listening. See ya. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thank you.